Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 297. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. Nice. Yeah. Great. This week on the show, we got two reviews lined up for you. We're going to be talking about Skate Kitchen, which hit limited release this weekend. And we're going to be talking about Black Klansman, the new Spike Lee film. Very excited to talk about these. We'll also be going over some of what we're watching on the watch list in this week's new releases in theaters, VOD and Blu-ray. Just one thing to announce before we jump into it. Our second episode of Saved by the 90s will be out this week. So look for that on Wednesday. I decided that I'm going to put one more episode on the regular, the weekly podcast feed. So this, this episode will also be on our regular feed, but be sure to subscribe to the Saved by the 90s podcast on iTunes or your provider of choice because after this week it's only going to be on its own separate feed. So, you know, do do that. Uh we're going to be talking about August of 1997 and we got uh four great movies to talk about. We're going to be talking about comic book movies. Yes. of the 90s and uh, or the 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 lack thereof. There were, there are actually a lot of comic book movies, but there weren't really any superhero movies in the 90s. Not that many. Yeah. But when you look at it, there were like a lot of comic book adaptations, but most of them were like darker, like your Tank Girls and your Judge Dreads. Could you imagine if like that's what caught on? I think like, it'd be cool. You know, instead of having like the whole Marvel thing that happened, you know, however many years ago. If it was in the '90s with those with those darker comics, that those yeah, that, ended up becoming blockbusters and making shit tons of money. They were all like dark indie books. Yeah, and we'd, we'd you know we'd be in like phase like twelve right now. It <laughs> would <could> be great. <laughs> I mean, just just because so many of these darker indie comics are they're so wildly different, you know they don't. Yeah, all the all the stories are just so unique, and I think it would be great if we saw more of those. I mean, we're seeing the adaptations like Preacher, you know, is is in its third season on AMC right now, and they're adapting The Boys, which was a really good series, and that's going to be on Amazon. And I think Why the Last Man is still happening that's been in stuck in production hell for god knows how many years but so they're still trickling out but uh yeah for the most part all the comic book adaptations have been bombarded by the superhero let's jump into our first review i'm thinking we can do skate kitchen first since that's the smaller release and then jump into black klansman after uh so this is written and directed by crystal Mosell, she's the uh, the director of Wolfpack, which I was a big fan of. I did not know that going into this. Like, yeah, I've this heard is... a lot about Skate Kitchen, and I did not know that it was from the director of the Wolfpack. Well, now you know. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, this is her first narrative film. A teenage skateboarder makes friends with a bunch of other skateboarding girls in New York City. Now I say that it is a narrative film in that there's a script and 
these people are acting, but they're really non, they're all non-actors for the most part. Most of the, she pretty much just, there is an actual skate crew called Skate Kitchen in New York. And it is actually these, these women. And she just cast them in this, in this movie, which uh, we'll start with you, Kevin. What did you think of Skate Kitchen? Like the little tidbit that I, that I read was, I guess like she just came across them like on the, on the subway. Or something. Mm-hmm. Just decided to let's make a movie. Yeah. And uh, I think there's a part of me that thinks that this would be much better if it was just an observational documentary. I 100% agree with you. Because it works really well at the beginning. You have this skate crew. And I, you know, and at the outset, I love this idea of this, this girl that skates in Long Island she doesn't really have anyone to skate with, at least not women to skate with. And she kind of follows the skate kitchen and she's like really into what they're doing because they're this whole, you know, all, all girl crew. And she just kind of wants to be with them. And she ends up, you know, mustering up the strength or whatever to go into the city and to kind of meet up with them. And, you know, they kind of click and they skate and they're just having fun. And you have this, this, great group with all these great personalities and at the outset of this movie it's just kind of them just being them they're just skating they're just hanging out the the chemistry's great obviously everything is wonderful and then it feels as though at the, there comes a certain point where they gotta like inject this this uh like the plot. drama for, yeah yeah the plot for the film <laughs> we gotta make it a film now so here's the plot line and that just fucks everything up. Yeah, it is uh the plot is very bare bones and nothing is nothing's really developed with the plot. So you have these you have several threads that are happening throughout and the the problem is they don't really dive too deeply into any one of those threads and everything feels very uh, sort of paint by numbers. Yeah, you, you yeah. have your your sort of paint by numbers coming of age story that feels almost forced into the narrative. Where whereas, I completely agree with you. If it was just this sort of meandering tale about these girls and their exploits, you know, skating through the city, going to parties, getting in trouble, you know, that if it was just that, then I think it would have probably worked out a lot better rather than trying to fit in this story about like um, the main character and her mom, not, not wanting her to skate. And then you also have this love triangle that's, that's sort of forced in there as well. That doesn't really amount to a whole lot. And that that, that was, that was extremely frustrating. Yeah. Cause that just, that killed everything. Yeah. So it is in a lot of ways, it's really, it's really unfortunate because I think that all the, the pieces are, the pieces are sort of in place, but then there was just all this extra stuff that was brought in that sort of made the film fall apart for me. Yeah. And Um, the, the worst part is, is you can, you can pretty much guarantee that, 
the the inclusion of this like uh this love triangle which involves Jaden Smith which you if you kind of forced Jaden Smith in there to get I don't I don't know if that was like name recognition to kind of make this like sellable marketable in some way and that's it would ultimately tanks this movie I don't think to be clear I don't think that Jaden Smith's presence tank no, the movie. No, I, I no. think, yeah, that's what I, I. I was pretty sure that that's what you were. You were. You were not saying that, but the plot line that he's involved with the the whole love triangle. Yeah. I thought Jaden Smith was fine. Yeah, he was fine. It was just it. It felt so forced. It just felt so unnecessary. And you know how I'm saying at the beginning, you have. I mean, you have great personalities here. I mean, you have chemistry that you can't cast yeah i mean right there you don't have to do any work and then you force this love triangle in there you know the plot line and what it essentially does like you said it becomes kind of like this paint by numbers thing where it essentially washes out all of those personalities they just all become just standard things that you see in movies and it's just like where where did those people go? I enjoyed being with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh yeah, it's just really it's really disappointing because I think all the all the pieces are there for this to be something that is well within my wheelhouse. I mean, this is this is a New York City story with young people and there's a lot of skating in it and so this on paper is something that I should be loving and unfortunately i think that the the narrative just kind of prevents me from really falling in love with this movie that isn't to say i didn't i still enjoyed the movie for the most part i mean yeah i didn't i still enjoyed it to a certain extent too but it was just one of those things where it's like it could have been so much better yeah like you you can see it like you can as you're watching it you can see you can see the potential that this that this movie had, and just it unfortunately just fell short. Yeah, it's like you can witness it being squandered minute by minute, and it's just like, no, we can. We, it was right there. We can just go back. We can go back. Yeah, to just I, it, it's right there. We did it. I kept hoping, just hoping that it was gonna recover. Like, I let's know. just get through this, and let's just get back to them being friends and skating and you know just fucking around the city but no unfortunately yeah i mean probably in like the last scene they they sort of get back there but yeah and i mean that was i mean to a certain extent that was like yes that's that's what i want but now why is it over yeah give yeah. me more give me another like 30 45 minutes of this yeah, and I also felt like a lot of the plot points padded the runtime out to a, a point that it felt t- a little too long for me as well. I mean, it's an hour and forty minutes, but a lot of the a lot of these sort of uh, story beats seem to take a lot of time, even though they're underdeveloped. They seem yeah. to overstay their welcome. Yeah, as well. Yeah. But 
I thought that I thought that everybody for for being non actors, I thought that everybody did a, a pretty good job too. Um, uh-huh. All of the all the performances felt very natural. Uh, it's I don't know how much of this was scripted or not. I, I'm I'm not really sure, but it it all all the conversations felt very natural. Well, yeah, and I think that that was like from the beginning. That was the most exciting part to this. Is that they were non actors that they are just skaters that they 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 are a crew and they're just kind of hanging out and they're just kind of dicking around they're you know ragging on each other and it's just it's kind of it's fun to watch you know because you're like okay this this doesn't feel like a scripted movie this is I like this and then you know you get that that plot line injected in there because for whatever reason the movie has that plot I mean this would be a perfect example of of a movie that if it was uh, like no conflict, it would be so much better. I com- Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it, this movie, I think, will no doubt evoke some comparisons to kids. I think that it has a lot of the same sort of connecting tissue that, that kids had in that it's a New York City story. It's about skaters. Uh, they're the same age. They're experimenting with drugs and sex and stuff. But I think in a lot of ways, this, this is a more watered down, like less extreme version of kids. It's definitely like with kids. I hate my life after I'm, after I'm done watching that movie. I just want to crawl in bed and, and just lay in the fetal position after I watch that movie. But that's also a movie that is very light on plot. I mean, there is, sort of a through line that's happening in kids, but for the most part it's, uh, and, and both films are very much shot as like sort of a docu-fiction style, yeah. you know, lots of handheld work. And I think the other thing that makes this kind of frustrating is what, what the plot line entails is that, you know, you have this, an all girl group of skaters just hanging out, having a good time skating, putting up with shit. And then, like, the injection just kind of undermines everything because you have, first, there's the the one skater, Janae, where, like, they go to Midtown, where all the dudes skate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you know, she's just like, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And then, you know, she fucks up her ankle because she just can't, she can't, she can't do the big leagues, you know? And then you have this weird, like, the ad where the girl like gets, I don't know what they were smoking, but like she just couldn't handle it at all. And again, she couldn't handle the big leagues. They were doing big time drugs. She just couldn't do it. And then the, the, you know, the, the love triangle bullshit where it's just like, they get an argument over a boy. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's so weird too how that came about where like it was during the the drug scene where you know um Camille who's the the lead character played by uh, Rochelle Vinberg she's like oh you know your friends can be assholes which everyone else has been saying right so she's mm-hmm. just essentially parroting everything that her the rest of her crew has been saying and the one girl just looks at her and she's like what's going on between you two? 
And it's like, how the fuck did you figure it out from that? Like, <laughs> this, she just said what you guys have been saying for like the last three weeks. Like, I don't, it was, just, it was kind of frustrating. And also, and then the friend got so mad when she found out that she was skating with, with the, the, the guys when she was yeah. going out and skating, when she saw that photo shoot that they did on that roof and yeah. she just flipped out. I mean, I guess that's just part of, I guess at the end of the day, they're still teenagers Yeah, and, I mean, and they're, they're, they're yeah. still going to be dealing with that teenage drama. But it all, at the same time, it was like, also like, I kind of wanted something else from this movie. Yeah. It's just like, could we do like, if you have, if there has to be a plot line, if we have to put a narrative in there, can it be something different? I felt, I felt like it should have focused more on them just fighting for a spot inclusion and equality in this male dominated sport. Yeah. You know, I I felt like they should have, and they, they do touch on it, but I felt like, they could have just had the whole movie focused on that. Yeah. It's just, and another thing too, is that you have, like I said, you have that great chemistry within the skate kitchen. It's right there. And then you, not to say again, not to say that Jaden Smith was bad. I don't think he was necessarily bad, but just the chemistry between uh, Vinberg and Jaden Smith just it, it paled in comparison to the chemistry that you had with the crew. Mm-hmm. It's just like, why would you replace that with this? Yeah, definitely disappointing, but it, it had a lot of things that I liked. I thought that the, the camera work was quite good. Uh, a lot of the, the, surprisingly, there was a lot of actual skate footage, like yeah. a lot, a lot of time dedicated to them actually skating. And I thought that the camera work felt very authentic. It felt like skate video uh, cinematography, and which that that works for me because I actually watch skate videos and I like skate videos. And um, the soundtrack too, I thought it was a pretty decent soundtrack. Skating is great. I love when it was just went to like skating montage, and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, and there, there are quite a few skating montages, and they're they're done very well. You don't really see that a lot in in movies. Uh, you know, you see, you might see like like in Kids. Kids was sort of a skate movie. It was about skaters, but that sort of took a backseat to the characters, which is fine too. And then because most of the time when you have movies about skateboarding, they're either horrible or they put put more of a focus on character or narrative than the actual skateboarding. This I think crafts a nice balance. Yeah, and it's it's good skateboarding too. Yeah, they're they're actually really good. And I've been watching a lot of uh, skateboarding stuff recently because um, I watched that show King of the Road, which is uh, sort of a reality show almost on Vice Land. And it's a skateboarding show, and there's this show called Epically Latered, which is uh, sort of profiles different pro skateboarders but their most recent one was um all about harmony kareen which was really interesting hmm. so yeah i've been uh just coincidentally i've been getting back into watching 
skate stuff. But, yeah, uh, I've got this in mind in the gap. Yeah. Yep. Skate. And then of course, and then also mid nineties is coming out, yes. which is going to be, that's going to have a emphasis on skateboarding too. I can't wait for that movie. Yeah. This is, this just could have been so much better. Just, I think at the end of the day, it's it's just a little disappointing, especially because I, I really love the Wolfpack, uh, and I had a lot of high hopes. I mean, as soon as I read the synopsis for this and saw the poster, that great poster, I was like, oh, man, this oh, can't wait for this. Unfortunately, yeah. I, I was going to see this. It premiered at Sundance, and I missed it, but yeah. Um, all right, let's give this a score. I'm going to give Skate Kitchen a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same. Maybe five and a half, six. It still gets a light recommend. Just didn't quite hit the the mark that I yeah expected. Not, you don't have to have a plot. It's not necessary. Yep, I completely agree. All right, that's playing in limited release right now. Let's move on and talk about Black Klansman. This is directed by Spike Lee. Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado, successfully managed to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan and become the head of the local chapter. Now, Kevin, you literally just got back from a screening of this. Just, just exited. So you give me a hot take. So this is a hot take from Kevin. Uh, I was, again, it's another movie that starts out really strong. Kind of starts to stumble, gets a bit corny at the end, and then ends on a note that I thought was um, extremely tasteless. The way that it ended really just rubbed me the wrong way. I, like I was, I was just kind of like on the fence, like ah, this, this is an all right movie, and then the, like the the footage that it shows at the very end was just like I understand what he's going for. I know what he's trying to do, but at the same time, I just I didn't think it was right. It, um, seems like, it seems like one of those things that you should get a fucking warning for that shit. You know a what lot I mean? Of, yeah, a lot of people are talking about the ending, and I haven't seen too many people saying that it was tasteless. A lot of people are talking about that it's a, a powerful ending, which... I think, I think some of it is. I think some of it is. I think it's just the the footage. It's of difficult. Being killed. It's difficult. I think is. It is difficult to watch for sure. I think it's just a bad move. It's a bad look. It it is definitely difficult to watch, but I think that he probably saw that as something that we should be forced to see. That we should. Yeah, you have to have to bear witness to this, but it also plays. I think it also plays into the film and the what what could have been done had everything not been. Uh, uh, I don't know if that. I don't know if that's a spoiler. B- basically, there's something that happens at the end that almost makes it feel like this this whole thing was for nothing. Well, yeah. I mean, well, that's been this is the the difficult thing for me to reconcile is his decision at the end to include that footage, and then um, earlier in the movie where he has a he has Harry Belafonte recount a a lynching, 
that kind of happened like right after like the the second resurgence of the clan because of the birth of the nation the 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 Griffiths movie they have you know these lynchings were the community affair they brought their kids out taking pictures they're selling souvenirs they're selling body parts cutting off fingers selling postcards with all the pictures of the lynches being taken and it's just kind of like kind of not exactly the same thing but you know you're a guy that's been making movies for years and now you're using footage of someone dying being killed and now you're putting it into your movie and trying to like piggyback off of that, like I don't know, it just it left a bad taste. Well, that's certainly one way of looking at it. I think the other side of that coin is that he was trying to make a statement. He was trying to explore yeah. the the bloody the bloody relationship that we've had with the clan over the years. And I really liked how they handled that that scene in particular with the where they would he would like cut to the people's faces. And have the the like the people listening to the story and just show like he would just randomly like kind of cut away to their their faces. Oh yeah, and you know the, with the black background. Yeah. Oh no no no! You're thinking of when he was doing the um the Stokely Carmichael speech. Oh yeah, you're right. That's the which one. I will give him that. There's a lot of artistic choices in this that I thought I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. That, the. Wow. Uh, the opening scene with Alec Baldwin. Yeah. The way that that was shot. The conversation that they were having about black exploitation films and yes. how he was overlaying the covers of yeah. uh, like coffee and Superfly. A lot of little, a lot of little touches there that make, I mean, a lot of people are saying like, Oh, this is, this is a re- return to form for Spike Lee. This is a return to form. And I would argue that, no, this isn't a return to form. I think that he's always had his form. Yeah, this, like, is, this is what he's this is this, what he's always done. This yeah. is this oh, is Spike Lee movie. I, I think that maybe they want to say like, oh, this is his most like commercially viable film since Twenty Fifth Hour, maybe. But if you go back and you look at Red Hook Summer or Chirac, like those those movies were they were great. And I so I don't know if I would agree with that it was a return to form. I think that this movie, yeah, I really, well, I I really loved this movie, and I think that it is his best movie since Twenty Fifth Hour, maybe. But no, nah. I, I lest I, we forget that sweet sweet blood. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm a big. I'm still. I, I know, I know you fan. love that movie. I know you do. I wasn't that big on that movie, but I also enjoyed Chirac too. I thought that was. I I really enjoyed Chirac, and I thought Red Hook Summer was okay as well. But um, yeah, I think that was another movie that I thought kind of fell apart towards the end. Yeah, that that one I think did more so. But uh, the I, I liked the amount of comedy that was in this. I mean, you you I had a sense that it was going to be very funny just from the trailers, judging from the trailers. But they there was a lot of really funny moments and and. He the way that he presented it, there were a lot of moments where it was an awkward kind of humor where it's like an uncomfortable laugh that you're doing, uh, specifically with a lot of the conversations that that are happening when uh, Adam Driver is as Ron Stallworth is meeting with the clan members and having their like 
at their meetings and stuff, there's just um, a lot of really kind of funny lines that they say that that's are horrible. Like the the things that they're saying are horrible, but the way that it's presented is done in a really funny way. Uh, Specifically the um, uh, Ashley Atkinson's character, Connie, Connie Kendrickson, the, the wife of Mm -hmm. the, the one guy, a lot of the stuff she said was so horrible, but so funny at the same time. And that was another thing that kind of got me with, like the depiction of the clan, like this, this specific chapter of the clan where like, I liked how they did her where it's this, you know, it's just down home people that are clan members. The thing that I didn't like is the, the ridiculous guy that was like drunk all the time. I thought that that was like a bit too much because it's like the, the clan isn't, it's not just these like backwoods idiots. Like they're, they're the, the fucking community. Right. Yeah. Like they're, I, th- I think a it is. Thing. Im- yeah. I think it is important to, to highlight that, but I think that the other guy, uh, the, the other guy who was the chapter leader, I think that he embodies, that identity as well the the character you're thinking of is the by uh paul walter hauser who was in he was amazing in i tanya by the way okay i know i knew he's from something he was in in i tanya and uh he was in um unbreakable kimmy schmidt this this last season that came out maybe i saw him there yeah, I think that was the last thing I saw him. He was in Super Troopers too, but I didn't see that. Because every time I see him, I think he is uh, the guy from Broad City. Oh, okay. He's not that guy. Yeah, the the roommate from Broad yes. City. Yeah, he reminds me of that guy. Yeah, no, it's a different guy. But I, I really like, I like both guys actually. It's just. I, I think that's one of those things where it's like it that I think that's that's a difficult thing. Like how do you depict the clan? Like do you go the realistic route of like you know, it's essentially usually like leaders in the community, business people, cops, you know, that type of thing, and run the risk of like a certain audience, like a white audience, be like, oh, yeah, these guys are great. Or do you make them these, like, cartoon characters? I thought that it struck a nice balance because you did have the cartoonish people. I would I would say that the Paul Walter Hauser's character of Ivanhoe was, he was a cartoonish character, and I would say that the other the other guy, the, the husband of... Uh, Connie Kendrickson, what's I can't remember his name. Felix. Felix, yeah. He was a little more on the radical side, but you know the people like that they they do exist. And then you have like David Duke who is uh who's played by Topher Grace uh as the more kind of toned down uh, more, more of like a politician than yeah, yeah. yeah, a bigoted racist. 
Yeah, he's trying to trying to take it mainstream. Yeah, and I thought Topher Grace did a really good job as David Duke as well. Yeah, which I, I, I did see like a, a side by side comparison picture, and it was like, yeah, that's pretty much the only guy you could cast for that role. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they lo- look exactly alike. I loved the the com- the phone conversations that they had. I mean, I think that it it should certainly be underscored that this is a crazy story. Like the fact that this is a real story is insane. This, how this guy who is the first African American police officer in this, in this specific uh, precinct goes undercover as a, as a Klansman and somehow is able to rise up from nothing and like, become essentially become friends with David Duke and how they were somehow able to pull off, uh, you know, his, his partner, Adam driver acting as like when, whenever he had to go somewhere in person being that Ron Stallworth. Yeah. And and how he gave him his real name when he first called. Yes. (laughs) Uh, There was that other, uh, like that's, one of the craziest things to me is the it's like like one of those cops didn't know. Yeah, um, that was that wasn't a, uh, a question I had at, at the end when I was like, how did how did they not? You'd think that everybody would know since he was, but then again, they probably didn't know because they're inherently racist and they didn't know they didn't recognize that that was him in plain clothes. But I also mean like someone on the force. I mean, there had to be, you know, there was probably a number of racists on that force that well, had to know the other guys that were in the clan. Oh, yeah. They had to be like, uh, no, I know that dude. That's a guy. That guy's a cop. Well, th- it did. Co- I mean, ultimately, that that is what happened. Yeah. But by that point, fortunately, it was it was too late. So, and I love the uh, the photo, the scene with the photo. Uh, when he wraps his arms around him. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Yeah, there was there was a lot that I really liked about this film. I I really enjoyed. I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I've, it's one of these movies where I I don't know if I feel comfortable saying I enjoyed it. I thought it was an incredibly well made film, but at the same time, it it is sort of a tragic story as well just to see what happened back then and where we're at now because it doesn't feel like there's been a lot of progress made in fact recently it feels like there have been several steps back that we have taken well there is because i happen to be reading like the the harry belafonte section of the movie where he he does the gives the the speech about the lynching. I read about that lynching. I've actually been reading, there's a book called um, At the Hands of Persons Unknown. It's like a history of the lynching in Black America by uh, Philip Dre. So if that, anyone listening, if that scene kind of got you, kind of, you know, struck a nerve with you, gut punch, whatever, like this book is, it's incredible. Like it gives you a whole history. It gives you, they talk about the clan. They talk about, there's a whole section 
the whole chapter dedicated to uh, the birth of a nation, the movie, and everything that came out with it, the NAACP trying to get it blocked. Like, it, it has so much. So, like, going into this movie, like, I know I have some history of the Klan and their activity and, like, their resurgence and everything, but I didn't really know about them in the 70s. I think, like, my kind of cutoff is, like, the 20s mm-hmm. when I had, like, it's kind of, like, second rise. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 an incredibly uh, difficult book to read because, like, the, the, the story that Harry Belafonte recounts is, like, that's tame. It's Ugh. really, really tame. It's super yeah. tame. Like, but I think, again, I feel like people should know about stories like that. I feel like that it's, it's something that has been shielded from the public. And well, I, I mean, that's, you know, reading this book and it's like, we don't learn any of this shit. Right. Like I, we learned like lynching, like there was lynching and that was it. Like that was the extent of our learning in school. Yeah. They lynch black people sometimes. But like the kind of like the way that they they brought it up to us is just like, you know, it happened occasionally. Yeah, they but they, cer- know, they certainly watered it down. And to hear it like in in reading this book too is like the politicians of the time. Like what we see right now is it's it's definitely David Duke has succeeded because what we see now is a very watered down version of in the past, like in the past, it was just out and out race. Like they would just, they essentially said everything that Alec Baldwin's character says at the beginning of the movie. They Mm -hmm. would just say that on the Senate floor. And now they don't do that. Yeah. Cause they, they learned that they can't do that. They just keep it. They keep it to themselves now. Yeah. They just reword it. They just tweak it a little bit. Mm. Michael Buscemi played uh, one of the other officers in their in their detail and it was so funny because I don't know if I've ever seen him before but when he f- was first introduced I was like man he looks and sounds like Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. and then afterwards when I was looking at the the cast and I saw oh that's his brother that would be why yeah I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything before I don't know if I have either. It was very bizarre. The same thing. I kept doing like a double take. <clears throat> he was really good though. He was... sounds exactly like Steve Buscemi, but it's not somehow. <laughs> he was really good <laughs> in it though. Awesome? I would say performances across the board were, were pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I thought um, John David Washington, I thought he was fantastic. He was great. Yeah, he was he was really awesome as Ron, Ron Stallworth. I know. God bless white America. <laughs> I love the way he pronounced white. There were uh, there were a couple sort of Trump jokes that were injected into it, and while I thought that they were funny and I laughed, I feel like those jokes may not hold up. Over time, no, they're not. You know, I, I, f- I feel like on subsequent viewings, uh, y- when you watch it, you might be like, "What? What did? What? What was that in reference to?" Yeah, 
I mean, some of them I think are okay, like the uh, the America First, because oh, that it like you know he, he was stealing it back. Yeah, from. I was gonna say he lifted that. So yeah, so I'm sure that that was probably spoken by David Duke at some point in time. Yeah, I think that that was fine, but there was the the America American Make American Great Again thing yeah. and. There was that conversation that uh, yeah, that, the John felt, David- that, that felt out of place too. Yeah, they were just like, "Oh, let's go into this, <laughs> into the stairs and have this conversation." Yeah, yeah, it felt it felt a little t- tacked on, but it, like I said, I enjoyed it. You know, this week watching it, but I don't, I don't know about how that's gonna stand up. Maybe, maybe Spike Lee's not concerned with something like that that he thinks that this is relevant now and that's what's important that's true yeah i don't know if he really gets caught up in that idea of you know making something timeless i don't think he really cares about that i don't think so either you know if you kind of look at all of his films or the majority of his films they're usually of the moment yeah 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 certainly um any final thoughts on black klansman I, it's a tough one for me. Not for me. Like. Not for me. I I loved it pretty much through and through. Just give me a warning. I'm going to watch someone die. Give me a warning. Like, you know, I saw that. I saw that live. I, I actually because when that was happening, I had a live stream uh, up pulled up, and I was watching it on TV. And the live stream that I had pulled up was. That, that that footage that has become famous now, it was that person who was live streaming that. So I was, I actually saw it happen live and I was just like, oh my God. Cause at the time you didn't know yeah, how many casualties there were. I mean, it looked absolutely horrific, but. Yeah, that was the, that was the, that was the first time I've ever seen that footage. It was, yeah, utterly, utterly shocking to see. But also infuriating. I mean, the way that he uh, intercuts it with Trump's response is, yeah, you know, just just perfect because people people should be outraged at what's happening in this country. Should be, they're not. Well, some some people are. I'd yeah, say I'd are. say more than half of the country is outraged right now. All right, uh, Black Klansman, let's give it a score. Uh, also, we have a review for this up on the site. Uh, Blake reviewed it for us. He gave it a 9 out of 10, and that's what I'm going to give it to. Whew. Yeah. Damn, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, this is currently maybe number number one, number two movie of the year for me. You know what? Happy for you. <laughs> I haven't heard a 9 from you in quite some time. You know what I mean? You know what we, we do... We do give things scores. Yeah. I haven't heard a nine from you in a while. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a while. Been a while. Mission Impossible Fallout was up there. It was like eight and a half territory. Blind spotting, eight and a half. Okay. Okay. So the ones that you super enjoyed, we just haven't done as like a main yeah. feature review. Yeah. Uh, I give it like a six and a half, seven. All right. There you have it. That's Black Klansman. All right. Let's talk about 
So we're watching on the watch list. I think I'll kick it off this week. Saw a lot of uh, a lot of bigger titles recently. I saw The Meg, which is another film that came out this weekend. Uh, did not like The Meg. Did no. not like The Meg. Also, you just need a big shark and it eats people. Yeah, well, they screwed that up big time. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of problems with this movie. One is that it feels... It feels like the movie was designed in a laboratory, meaning that they looked at, they were trying to make it the most accessible movie for as wide of an audience as possible. And in doing so, they ended up sterilizing the whole movie. So none of it feels fun or original or edgy or anything. They play the, the whole movie is played so safe and you're just the movie is so filled with tropes and stereotypes. Like you have uh, like you have the like one, uh, you have the one black uh, crew member and he feels like he was just written by the most out of touch white person ever. He's played by Paige Kelly, great actor. And he's just given the worst lines and he feels like such a token black character so that is just one of the many frustrations I had with this movie. The other it's PG 13. So they play it really safe with the, the carnage that this Megalodon causes. If it's, it feels way too long and it gets downright boring at times. It's, it's dreadfully dull at times. And there's so many characters in this movie. And then they, they like, there's this one scene where one of the characters dies and it's just this long drawn out death scene. And then like the next two scenes after that are people reacting to the death, but it's like, Oh my God, we barely knew this guy. Like just, just move on. And it, I, like, I just wanted to leave the theater and come back when it was all over. It was just, grueling some some parts of this movie i it's there's a couple decent one-liners in there and one thing that i will give it credit for is that the the effects work is really well done um the like the shark the cg shark animation looks really good and (laughs) there's some some cool sequences but man and like the you know, the, the marketing material for this movie is great. Like I, I feel like all the posters that they've been coming out with have been really good, but they're all based on almost all of them are based on a scene that happens at the very end of the movie and is pretty short. So most of the movie is not that at all. It feels more like a deep blue sea type of thing than a jaws. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just uh it's a big letdown. I can't recommend the Meg. No, that's a bummer. I have something that I can recommend, and it's also about a giant creature that's Shin Godzilla. Oh, okay. I fucking love this movie. I heard nothing I love but it great so things. Much. Oh my god, it's so good. It is so good. 
this is the this is the Japanese version yeah. of Godzilla that came out in 2016. And it's one like the way that it starts is there's kind of this like explosion in the sea and much of the beginning parts of this movie is just in the boardrooms with the prime minister and his cabinet. And they're just trying to like figure out what to do. They're trying to get information. They're, you know, spitballing what it could be, what could be happening, uh, how they need to deal with it, you know, and it's all this bureaucracy. They're, 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 they're trying to, trying to navigate. Right. So it's really interesting in that point at, at the very beginning of the movie is, you know, it's just them trying to figure out, and there's not really much Godzilla action going on. It's just them trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Um, and there's there's some good editing in this movie that makes up for uh, a decent amount of the comedy. Like the early, probably one of the funniest things for me is the prime minister gives a speech and he's like, yeah, you know, there's this creature. We don't know what it is. We haven't been able to figure it out but uh he's not gonna make a landfall there's no way he's gonna come on land and of course someone runs out and tells him that it is now on land (laughs) so and the original version of godzilla is he's so fucking dopey looking he has these big eyes he can't walk he's just kind of slithering around and he's just like emanating all this blood from his gills because the thing is is that he evolves so you get to see multiple Godzillas throughout this movie. And there comes a time when like Godzilla takes on maybe his final form. I don't know. There could be more to it. But like he levels the fuck up and he just starts shooting these like purple fucking beams out of his back, out of his mouth, and he is just fucking annihilating everything. <laughs> And this sequence is just like my jaw was on the floor. I just, it was incredible. It was unbelievable. I loved it so much. Shin Godzilla. I can't wait until they make a follow up to this thing. I'm going to have to give this a look. Oh my God. You got to. I've, I've been meaning to for a long time since it came out and I just, I haven't got around to. I'm not actually not a huge fan of the kaiju movies, but this one, yeah. Uh, now, it, now that it gets your recommendation, I will give it a look. And it's like this perfect blend of like, there's some comedy to it. the The Godzilla creature kind of has this old school feel to him, where you know he doesn't feel like this CGI beast. Where he yeah, just, it's it's a man in a suit for this yeah, one. It's they yeah. bring it back. Yeah, and it just it looks good and then when it does get serious and the shit does ramp up like the effects look amazing and it's just it's perfect in every way just about nice that's Shin Godzilla I saw a shitty movie uh, I, I saw Action Point and rather than talking about the movie which is terrible and you shouldn't you shouldn't see it this is the one with Johnny Knoxville and Chris Pontius Oh yeah. About the amusement park. Um I I would not recommend the movie at all, but it is worth looking into the actual amusement park that this is based on, which is called Action Park, which is in North New Jersey. 
Now this this uh, amusement park was open. They opened in 1978, I believe, and they stayed open through the mid 90s. And it's known, it's widely known as the most dangerous theme park ever created. People call it Traction Park or Class Action Park. And if you there's a there's two really good short documentaries about Action Park on YouTube that are like one is like 17 minutes long. One's like 15 minutes long or something. And they talk about the owner and how the owner, this guy was just, he was a businessman. He wasn't an engineer or anything like that. And he just was like, you know what? I'm going to, he would literally just draw these crazy designs and then have his employees build them. And his employees were 14 and 15 year old kids. Oh my God. And these 14 and 15 year old kids would run the whole park and the park was, it was essentially a water park, but it was, there was an emphasis on you just do your own thing. So there was like no, there were no like safety people or anything like that. And there were actually six deaths at this park. Six people died. Um, They opened up, I think there were three drownings they opened up a wave pool and they were one of the first uh, water parks in the United States that had a wave pool. And when they opened it, of course they just cranked this thing up as far as it would go. And the waves were so unruly that they said that in the first, in the first day that it was open, they had to lifeguards had to rescue a hundred people in its first day of being open and subsequently, unfortunately, three people drowned in the wave pool. And they had this thing called the Alpine Slide, which was this essentially this winding cement slide that went down. And you rode on this like car, this little car, and it would have a brake on it. But famously, the cars were always broken. So most of the time, the brakes didn't work. So you would just fly down this slide... And you have to take a ski lift to get up to the top to to come down because it's like on the side of a mountain. And in one of the documentaries, uh, they said that the, the ski lift goes directly over top of the slide. So as you're going down the slide, people are above you spitting on you from the ski lift as you're going down the slide. So you're getting spit on. Meanwhile, you're careening down this 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 cement thing with no brakes most of the time, and uh, someone actually did die. They flipped over the edge and hit a rock. It was an employee, and they also have this one. They built a a water slide that had a loop, a full a full loop at the end of it. And when they were testing it out, they sent a dummy down to see what would happen, and the dummy came out without its head. And they decided to open it anyway. And there were so many injuries on this thing. Because if you see it, if you see pictures of it, you'll quickly know, like, that doesn't, that's not going to work. Like, physics don't work like that. (laughs) And so many people were injured that uh, they ended up closing it after three weeks because they had so many concussions and broken noses. Because people would go down this thing and they would either have too much momentum and smack themselves inside or they wouldn't have enough and they'd either get stuck or 
they would like go up to the top and then fall and down into the middle part of the loop. So it's a really crazy, crazy place. And that like, it was really cheap to get in. So you had a lot of kind of, you know, low, low, a lot of young people coming in a lot of, uh, people that didn't make a whole lot of money going in for a cheap time and they sold beer there too. So they had really cheap beer that they sold. So it was essentially just this crazy party spot for people to injure themselves. And apparently they had so many injuries on any given day that the, the park actually bought the County more ambulances because they would have so many ambulances that would come out. Uh, they would have an average of, I think they said nine ambulance trips a week or uh, sorry, a day <laughs> that oh would come <laughs> because so many people got hurt. So anyway, um, highly recommend looking into action park. If you lived in New Jersey during this time, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but uh, this, this was like a relatively new uh, discovery for me. And it's just utterly fascinating to learn about this park. And it's actually still open. They, they, it, so they, they sold it in, I think, 96. And then another, so the company bought it, they renamed it. But then the original owners, it was a family owned business, the son of the original owner, he bought it back in, uh, it was like the early to mid 2000s, I think. And they, reopened it so it's still open it's not called action park anymore but it's the same park and it's still there so you can you can go if you want wow but uh yeah it's it's just a really fascinating story to to read about so i I would uh that's why definitely point you to the the two little documentaries that are on youtube about action park Okay, uh, this is the last one I have, which is The White Dawn from 1974. The White right. Dawn. Phil Kaufman. Uh, this is a really interesting movie in the fact that it's filmed entirely <clears throat> uh, on the Baffin Island in Canada, which is like right up, like just a little bit west of Greenland. And it stars actual Inuit uh, an Inuit tribe that lives there so what you have is Warren Oates Timothy Bottoms Louis Louis Gossett Jr Uh, they play whalers from the 1890s and they get they get shipwrecked and they get saved by this this Inuit community and they end up living there for quite some time and it has this kind of, it's a little bit of both where it's a kind of documentary feel to it. Just this like hyper sense of realist realism to it because they just, they just film the Inuits doing things just what they normally do. And these guys just happen to go mostly Timothy bottoms, just like goes along on hunts and stuff. So they had there's a scene where just an Inuit guy fights a polar bear and wins. <laughs> and they just film it. He just walks up to a polar bear and takes him down. They they go seal hunting and they catch seals. They 
catch a walrus. You know, they do all these things, you know, building igloos. And these guys, uh, Timothy Bottoms is kind of more, he's the only thing that feels kind of out of place with this movie because it's supposed to be the 1890s, but he feels like he's directly from the 1970s. Like his character is like a long haired hippie guy. Mm -hmm. And it just feels really weird and out of place. And he's really the only guy that's like into what's happening. You know, he's like, oh man, they're sharing their food with us and their homes and their women. They're like, this is wonderful. They're, they've saved our lives. And the other two guys are like, we need to get the fuck out of here. I don't want to be stuck on Baffin Island with these Inuits. And uh, it ends up becoming, they kind of introduce the Inuits to alcohol, gambling, a number of things, nothing good. They don't introduce them to anything good. Like they bring nothing to the table. Mm. They're awful. And uh, essentially kind of start ushering them towards ruin. And then the Inuits uh, make a a choice that kind of saves them from that. So it, uh, it's a hell of a movie. Hmm. All right. It's not it's not like a hundred percent like a great movie, but it's just one of those things where like so many aspects of it just make it extremely interesting. Okay, and that's the White Dawn from nineteen seventy four. I'll mention one other one briefly. Uh I saw Smithereens from nineteen eighty two. This is directed by Susan Seidelman. I'm gonna be working on a review for this. This is coming out on Criterion on the twenty first of August, I believe. Uh, so I, I watched it, the Criterion version that's coming out. This is a film about New York City in the early 80s. And it's about this, uh, this young woman who is, she's sort of a, she's sort of a runaway who kind of, she gets evicted from her apartment and she has dreams of being famous. She doesn't know what for, she just wants to be famous. So in, in a lot of ways, it's, Sort of like um, she she was like an Instagram star before Instagram was a thing. You know, she just wants to be famous just to be famous, you know. So she takes these flyers of that, that, that are just pictures of herself and just plasters them around this village. And she sort of uses these two guys in her life. Uh, one is like this nice guy from... Montana, who is sort of just passing through, he's an artist, and he's just living in his van and Hell's Kitchen for a little bit, and then he's planning on going to New Hampshire, and then the other guy's played by Richard Hell from television, mm-hmm. and he's sort of this punk rocker guy who got a little bit of fame, but his career is sort of on the rocks, and he's trying to get back and make music again. And it's just a really interesting sort of light character piece uh, that really puts the focus on the the grittiness of New York during this time period. Um, New York was bankrupt during this and buildings were just falling apart. I mean, people were living in tenement housing that was just dilapidated and crumbling. I mean, buildings were literally falling down during this time in New York and you just had trash everywhere and it was just a rough, it was a rough place, but it was also a place that was sort of just stemming with 
creativity yet. A lot of artists living there. And a, a lot of this movie takes place in the East Village. So there, there was a lot of things that already interest me about this movie. And so seeing, seeing that be such a, a major element uh, really made me enjoy this, this movie. Uh, but I also thought that the characters were really strong, specifically Susan Berman, who plays the the lead. Uh, her name's Ren in the movie. But I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's uh, Susan Seidelman's debut. Uh, she made this right out of film school, I believe. And this, this came right before Desperately Seeking Susan. One interesting thing that I learned from the the bonus features on the, the Blu-ray was that she actually discovered Madonna. Madonna was living in the East Village during this time, and she was trying to become a singer. And she, so she, she and Susan Seidelman ended up meeting in the East Village because uh, Susan Seidelman lived there too. And she was like, "Ah, oh, this this uh, this Madonna person. She's really interesting. She's she's got like she's definitely the." type of person i'd like to cast in my next movie so she casts her in desperately seeking susan and then during the filming of desperately seeking susan uh madonna her first album came out and she just exploded overnight Hmm. so that was just kind of an interesting little factoid that i learned from the blu-ray but uh smithereens is definitely worth a look it's got some really great cinematography and it it really captures that that the sort of the the glitz and glam of new york during this time but also juxtaposes that with the the grittiness and grunginess of everything back then uh, but it doesn't really it's not like blown out of proportion or anything you know you see some movies like um like maniac or some of these other early 80s movies that take place in New York city and everything just looks so horrible. This movie is like pretty grungy, but it also feels, it feels more realistic. So anyway, I would recommend uh, checking out smithereens. I definitely want to see this. I've heard good things. All right, let's talk about some new releases. Shall we this week in theaters? We got crazy rich Asians coming out. That's uh, based on a novel, I believe. I thought that already came out. No, it it comes out. It comes out early. It comes out on the fifteenth. It's a Wednesday. Okay. It's a Wednesday release. All right. But uh, yeah, I there's some early reviews for this one. They are saying that it's good, but like not as good as the book. I guess. I guess the book is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more biting. It's got a little bit more bite to it. I think they watered it down a bit for the movie version, but either way, I'm not too interested in this. seems like a pretty standard romantic comedy. There's some fun, there's some funny people in it, but uh, it's still not quite enough for me to want to go to the theater and see it. We also got alpha. Uh, This is uh, definitely not one that I'm. I just saw when I went to the movie theater, there was a huge thing for this. I've never heard of this movie. Yeah, it hasn't been getting a lot of uh, marketing push behind it. It's with uh, Cody Smith McPhee, and it's it's like a uh, I don't know. He gets like banished or something from his tribe, or he gets lost, or 
something, and then he befriends a wolf, and they, I guess, live happily ever after. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Mile 22 comes out. That's the other big wide release this week. Okay. It's a Peter Berg film, and I don't typically like Peter Berg's films, but it does have Eco Uweiss yeah. in it. And it looks yeah. and it looks like he plays a pretty major role in it. And it looks like there's a lot of action. So I'm uh I think I might go see this. I figured because I, I thought the same thing. I was like, this looks dumb. And then when once I finally saw a clip with him in it, I was like, oh yeah, I'll, second hand. Yeah, I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a shot. I like Mark Wahlberg. I don't typically like his collaborations with Peter Berg, but I don't like I don't like serious Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. I don't like serious Wahlberg. Uh, let's see what else we have coming out in limited release. We got the wife. This is with uh, Glenn Close. Okay. Nah, not not too interested in that. We got Blaze. This is the Ethan Hawke uh, directed film about uh, the musician, country musician uh, Blaze Foley. I'm not really okay. I'm not really familiar with his music. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Songwriting legend, legend of the Texas outlaw music movement. Okay. Spawn the likes of Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson. I might have to check them out. Yeah, maybe. I haven't really heard much about it. I heard. I heard uh, there were heard there were uh, several positive reviews that I saw for this, but yeah, not not too familiar. Uh, the, the Little Mermaid. I have no idea. I have no idea what this is all about. Is it? It, is it just the little mermaid? Yeah, it's a live like No, it's a live action a live action what? one. What? Yeah. When the fuck that? I happened? have no idea. I have no idea. I've not heard a single word about this. It says a young reporter and his niece discover a beautiful and enchanting creature they believe to be the real little mermaid. Okay. Written and directed by Blake Harris. Okay. No, I, yeah, this, this is a complete surprise. I didn't know that this even existed. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Billionaire boys club. Not too familiar with that. Juliet naked. We, the animals down a dark hall. Minding the Gap comes out. I think that's going to be on Hulu. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I heard good things about that. Yeah, NYC documentary about uh, skaters, skateboarders. There you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Breaking and Exiting. Got Puppet Master The Littlest Reich coming out. Okay. That one I would probably give a light recommend for checking out. It's kind of fun. Uh, and that's pretty much all of the uh, the major ones. Let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. We got 
uh, on the 14th, Inhumanity, What Still Remains, The Last Warrior, Porcupine Lake, and The Grandson. Not The Grandson, because this is two separate words, so it's The Grandson. Oh, okay, they're playing, they're playing with words yeah. here. The word a little wordplay happening. Got snapshots. Okay. And then on the 17th, Friday, we got Ahocalypse, which is a hockey horror comedy. More word, more word play. Yeah, Ahocalypse. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a terrible title. Sorry. Yeah, it is a terrible title. The poster's, just, the poster's not great for this either. It's like a zombie movie, but set on a hockey rink. Uh, I don't know about that, guys. <laughs> To all the boys I've loved before, this is going to be on Netflix, Breaking and Exiting, Pool Party Massacre, Pup- hmm. Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, Running for Grace, and uh, I think that's it for VOD. Blu-ray coming up this week, we got Avengers Infinity War. It's the biggie. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Is coming out on a collector's edition. I wasn't really that into part two. I like part one and three a lot, but two two was like, eh, not great. Army of Darkness getting yet another release. This looks like some kind of steelbook release. Diamond edition. <laughs> How many of these? Like seriously, I yes, I, I bet if you look it up, the Evil Dead series including Army of Darkness, has gotten more releases on DVD and Blu-ray and home home video than any other movie. I feel like every oh, other week they, it gets a new release. It's insane. It Absolutely insane. Uh, Arrow is putting out What Have They Done to Your Daughters from 1974. Looks like Arrow is also releasing Tideland from 2005, the Terry Gilliam film that I could not stand. Why would you do that? That makes no sense. That does not seem like an Arrow. I know it doesn't. It really doesn't. I don't know. That is bizarre. It's funny. I get I get the press releases from Arrow, and I don't recall seeing this one on the on the thing. I don't know if maybe it's just coming out in the UK or what. But yeah, I. Don't recall seeing that on the list. Maybe I just read it and was like, ugh, and then moved on. <laughs> Every now and then they'll put out a newer movie, but it's t- just t- a weird Tideland. Even yeah. if you're doing yeah, if you're doing a newer movie, like that one doesn't make any sense. If I remember correctly, the original DVD release of Tideland was absolutely loaded with features. So I don't even know what why they would need to come out with another one, but yeah. Uh, Lady Street Fighter is coming out. This is from 1981. This got a, uh, a restoration from the AGFA, the American Genre Film Association. I think that's what it stands okay. for. This is uh, like a collaboration of, um, I-, I know Alamo Drafthouse is involved in it. I can't remember what other organizations are involved in it, but they're sort of compiling this, this massive archive of genre films. It's the largest archive of genre films in the entire world. Uh, and they're, what they're doing is they're starting to restore and re-release some of these movies. And, uh, lady street fighter is one of the early ones. They might've 
done a few more already, but um yeah, so that that's definitely one to look out for. They actually re-released it into theaters as well. It's playing here in New York. How to talk to girls at parties coming out. Uh I'm not a big fan of that one. Oh, is that that? Yeah, we re- we reviewed it on Is that? Yeah. Oh man, that feels like ages ago. It does. It really does. God, that movie was bad. It was. Uh The Gorgore Girls from 1972 getting a release on uh Air- that's another Arrow film. Arrow's just been they've been cranking it out. There's a lot coming up in the next couple months, Arrow's going to be putting out a lot of, a lot of stuff and we'll be covering a bunch of it on the site. That's pretty much all I have for Blu-ray. What about Criterion's? We have uh, one Criterion that's from director Robert Young. That's the Ballad of Giorgio Cortez, which I've, uh, never heard of Robert Young. I've never heard of this movie. But it is uh, produced and starring uh, Edward James Olmos. Hmm. All right. This is from 1982. Okay. There you have it. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to feedback at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Is it color?